0: Coming in later in the cycle, instead of being the shoe leather kicking in the doors, are coming in after marketing has loosened up the ground for us to walk in, kind of down that funnel. Um, got to have new skill sets, right? New sales skill sets. We talk about, um, you know, case coverage versus growth. What does that mean? What does the future future look like? The evolution of sales, the evolution of the sales process and the rep. Um, This is nothing bad. This is all, you know, change. It's all about how do we get better tomorrow? How do we get better every day than we were you know, yesterday, and uh, I just love the saying that he said, you can just be better than your competition, and uh, and continue to grow, and um, without further ado, please listen, there's just a ton of stuff in here, I'm excited to share this with you, and you've got the time, take the time, and embrace, so without further ado, let's get at it. <music> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. I'm excited to have Ted Newell on the uh, podcast today, who um, has a sales um, consultancy business. He also has a podcast. He's creating a uh, a new uh, community on on the internet for uh, med device people to get together. But instead of me going through all that, Ted, welcome to the Medical Sales Nation.
1: Thank you Jim it is terrific to be here.
0: Great. So why don't you, you know, go over your background, share with the audience what you do and then um and what you have done and what you're currently building with the uh MedTech Leaders community and then I'd love to start picking your brain on our incredible industry and what's happening.
1: Sure, sure. Well, I have over 30 years of experience in medical devices um, in a lot of roles. I started carrying a bag just like you did in sales. That was my first job. Moved up through some uh, sales management, marketing positions, then back into sales management and executive roles, you know, VP this, VP that. Um, I was the president of a U.S. operation for an Israeli company for several years. So sort of ran the gamut of different roles in the medical device industry and also a lot of different uh, medical specialties. So that was always very interesting. I was never in orthopedics like you've been, So that, which I think is real interesting, the whole orthopedic business. So for the last 10 years, I've been a consultant, a medical device success, and then this year, I started up a podcast. Um, you know, you've got a great podcast, but I started up a podcast called Medical Device Success, and recently, I converted that into a video cast and podcast. Then, as you indicated, I started a community. It's called MedTech Leaders, and it's a community um, online to give people a place where they can share best practices share problems and solutions, help each other out, congratulate each other on successes, um, and then also learn from subject matter experts. So as you know, we've had quite a few subject matter experts in the program with live events that also become a videocast. So that's at medtechleaders.mn.co. And all of the above is mostly involved in... um, Startups, small, medium-sized med tech companies. So, um,
0: yeah. So, I'm part of the med tech leaders community, and I really appreciate you putting that together and bringing people together. I think having another forum in which, um, you can get out of LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is great. You know, I love it. I, I'm, I, I interact on that all the time. But to to get to somewhere else where everyone is really sharing the same experiences and trying to help each other out and, um. The uh, subject matter experts that you bring on is great, so I just want to thank you for that because I, I think everybody should check you guys out and uh, become part part of that community. Um, Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, and so, well, you you talked about multiple specialties, and I think, and you, you talked about orthopedics not being in it. Yeah, orthopedics. You know, when I got in it in the early nineties, it was uh, it was a hell of a lot of fun. I'm sure it still is now, uh, but. But back then, it was especially in spine because I started off in spine. Spine was that industry that there was only two or three competitors at the time. I think there's 250 now, um, and uh, it was a growing industry. It was under um, the FDA's scrutiny because pedicle screws were only cleared for the sacrum and I think the iliac at the time, and not actually in the pedicles of the vertebral bodies. And so there was a lot of hesitation around there, but a lot of innovation and, uh, and just a blast. But like you, I've been in orthopedics, I've been in uh, pain neuromodulation, cochlear implants, ENT, and now in the digital healthcare space. So it's, um, it, it gives you a different perspective when you, when you go into different specialties. And, um, and the reason I say that is because, um, you could you know this you could talk to somebody who's been let's you know on in orthopedics, and their whole world is orthopedics. they don't understand or they don't see the bigger world in which we're actually living in, and it can get very you know focused and so with your experience and with the craziness that's going on because of covid i I wanted to ask you a couple questions um the first one is is When you look at COVID and it is, it is changed and it is changing our market and the way in which we commercial people are operating. And, you know, I could talk to 10 people and I'll get a hundred different, you know, responses and what they think is happening. But from your perspective, from talking to the, um, and interacting with your community and with the subject matter experts, um, what are you seeing as the Biggest changes that are happening and are going to continue to remain that change because some people believe that it'll change and then it's going to go back to normal. So, looking for some of those long term changes that we should start to embrace.
1: Sure. So, let's just look back. Let's just look back a little bit. You know, in March, the pandemic came crashing down as I was driving back from the last face to face. I guess you could call it a focused symposium with neuro ophthalmologists. It was the last face-to-face meeting that I attended. And as I was driving back, I was listening to all the news about the airports they're being shut down and, or at least uh, people not being able to fly back to the United States if they left and my French colleague, it was, it was on his airplane and he texts me and he says they just announced it on his flight and half the people got off the plane because oh, wow. they didn't want to get trapped in Europe. So that, that goes back to early March. And then when I started talking to people, um, other executives, sales executives, uh, company executives and so on, at that time, everybody was thinking, this is something we'll get through in the next two or three months. And so no new plans were put into place. They were going to wait. They were looking forward to the fall programs and the fall trade shows. And in some cases where they take advantage of Section 179 for tax write-offs, they were banking on that to help them get back in the game late in the year with sales. That was back in late March and the most, most of April. But look how it has changed since then. And now we have this really long-term uh, coronavirus that's just hanging on and is going to continue to affect us well into probably 2022. So let's just take a look at a few factors that affect our future. And more than other industries, more than a grocery store, possibly more than a restaurant or an auto repair place or something like that where the economy can come back to, more, to a, uh, something near normal than it used to be, but look at the age of the patients that we treat, and these are the patients that are sitting in a doctor's office, and look at the age of our doctors. A lot of our doctors are in their mid-50s to early 60s. Look at the condition of our patients, and then you look at the guidelines that came out from the AMA, the CDC, and AdvaMed related to sales access to healthcare professionals and facilities. I mean, look at all that. And then take, be a doctor, like we interviewed some doctors for a program not long ago, and they can't take a risk of getting exposed because if they're exposed and they have to follow their practices or their clinic or the hospital protocol, they're out of business for 10 to 14 days. Yeah. You know, and that's a practice killer. Right. And we've already seen that when you look at the numbers, a lot of studies being done on that in terms of how much practices have been hurt by the pandemic. And then you look at the liability. And I looked at, like, one of my friends is a professor at Temple who is an expert on the future, and that's what she teaches. And she says, you should look at what the insurance companies are saying around medicine. And so today I was looking at the uh, statements online for some of the um, malpractice insurance companies. Uh, They're pretty vague. You don't want to be, as a doctor, you don't want to be on the other end of of a lawsuit unless you you've got some really clear factors in your in your in your um, favor so there's all this stuff is going on and then the vaccines they've been delayed a little bit how long does it take for a vaccine to be effective you throw all that stuff together and we're looking at this pandemic affecting us well into 2021 and possibly you know halfway into 2022 before we start shifting a little bit back toward what normal used to be. And so companies have to plan for that. Individuals that are managing their careers, they have to plan for that and companies have to plan for that.
0: Yeah, it's um well it's interesting though too, right? Because um I have talked to a number of CEOs and very the very uh, aggressive, small, nimble companies that are really out there trying to get acquired are are being a little bit more loose with their people and what they're doing and where they're going around the country. Um, and when you when you ask, I understand why they're doing that because they're a startup, right? And they they don't have time to wait. They can't. They've got to get going, and so they're out there doing it. And but at the same time. When I talk to them, they'll say, ah, it's all going to be fine once this vaccine comes out. Well, first it was, everything's going to go back to normal at the end of Q1. This was four months ago. Now it's like, ah, once that vaccine comes out, it's going to, it'll go back to normal. And like what you're saying from 2022, we might see some of old practices come back. But if between now and then you can figure out as an industry, how can I... digitally get to where i want to be without actually physically being there and if i can do it from now until 2022 why would i ever go back because of the 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 cost savings the hassle like trade shows right Um, right right it's you know, I'm going to say this, I'll probably get yelled at by some folks, but a lot of these trade shows, I mean, you're there to promote your product, but you're there to support the, you know, the associations, right? So that Correct. they can have their meeting. And so you're you're kind of there for that purpose, um, that just if you're in orthopedics, you're, you're in, in spine, you're supporting NAS because that's your community. But a lot of times going there, not much happens unless you have a breakthrough product. So could you do that online and still support your societies? Well, they're, going, they're figuring that out now. So if they figure that out now, are we going to go back, you know, in 2022 or 2023 to these huge, very expensive trade shows?
1: I don't think so. And I interviewed uh, two people. One was uh, one woman who is the director of exhibits for uh, Siemens. And she is like I think, the president of the Healthcare Executives Exhibitors Association. And then I interviewed an executive. And on the same interview, we had an executive from Spark, which is the big trade show booth company that has really shifted going virtual. And they talked about it probably never being the same. We might be going to a hub-and-spoke system so people don't have to travel so far and risk as much exposure. Maybe the main meetings in Las Vegas. But you can drive to Cleveland and there'll be a hotel where you can still at least mix with your colleagues at a safe distance but, and participate and have some camaraderie, you know, exchanged. Yeah. But you can drive home that night. You don't have to stay in a hotel. You don't have to have any of this other exposure. So they felt like some of these changes were going to be permanent. And then the doctors we interviewed said the same thing. And there are some advantages. For the uh, practices, and excuse me, the doctors, because they can um, attend more meetings virtually than they can if they have to travel. Yeah, well, you would always. The disadvantage is that they can go walk the dog during the break, oh, yeah. and it, you don't get to talk to them.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Well, uh, you'd hear a doctors say all the time, "Hey, I'm I'm going to NAS, but I'm not going to CNS, right? I'm going right. this one, I'm not going to that one." And now you're right; they can uh, they can get everywhere. And when you're talking to the docs, how do they feel about that?
1: Well, we interviewed three doctors as part of one of our events, our expert panels, and. They're very nervous about traveling and it being exposed, especially right now and also far into 2021 for sure. And they liked some of the virtual meetings that they've attended. It's worked out for them just fine. Okay. It may not have worked out for us, but it works out for them. They can get a CE credit or CME credit, um, and they can – you know, learn something in the comfort of their own home. You know, one prediction is that perhaps a Congress, a medical Congress, instead of taking place over three days or four days, it might take place over five nights where the doctors can practice during the day, come back, attend sessions that they want to attend in the late afternoon and into the evening. So I think it's yet to be seen how all these things are going to change. But it, it will be a change, and I think it will be somewhat permanent. It could affect Congresses and what we consider the traditional trade show for a long time to come. Yeah.
0: Well, and and, and so, okay, so that's something that where technology comes in and can really change an industry overnight, right? The trade show right. industry overnight. Across, not just in med tech, but everywhere for, um, for any type of purpose. But um, what about… You know, the sales the sales access, and now we know that sales reps, a local sales rep for, we'll just keep on orthopedics, you know, for a hip and knee company is getting access into that operating room. I've got a few friends that sell hips and knees, and um, they're telling me they're actually more important now than they've ever been because – Hospitals had to furlough people, the, the best of the best have left or, uh, you know, aren't there. So the sales reps are the expert. And so they're being asked to come in. Um, I see this. That's symb- great. Yeah, I see this symbiotic relationship between hospitals hospitals and vendors right now because both need to generate revenue. So they're going to generate revenue working together. I also know that the uh, the providing systems, the providers, not just the docs, but the hospital systems are asking for discounts currently they're asking for 10 15 20 discounts and it's not an rfp it's just you need to help us so we can help you so we can get you know the game back uh, on and start playing um i see so you know you, you add all this stuff up so now you have industries i mean striker is making it well known that they have an asc strategy to push a lot of their um business into ASCs over the next three to five years. ASCs have lower um, reimbursement rates. So that means commission sales reps will make less. Companies will make less. Um, Okay, so you're adding this up. You can't help but go, oh my gosh, what are the changes going to be for a commercial team? And then add on to that, the access you're getting in the operating room is with the doctors that you already have relationships with. How how are you going to grow your business? So I'm not running a sales force that's selling uh, a device unit to a surgeon today, right now. But if I was, and you know this, is that you're asking yourself, because you're you're being asked to put an annual operating plan together. And you're like, what's your revenue growth going to be like? Well, (laughs) is there a vaccine? Is it widely accepted? I am, am I going to be allowed into doctor's offices? Um, I, I, I You know, you start asking all these questions. That trickles to another conversation about getting messaging out because the old-fashioned way of knocking on doors, you know, the shoe leather approach uh, of getting in those offices, getting to know everybody, getting to know the doc, that's gone too, pretty much. I mean, I know people in the Mid-South tell me that it's uh, – that they have access. It's not even an issue on any front. But um, if this continues with this virus, people are going to rein things in. And so you can see all these changes that one impacts the other, that impacts the other, that impacts the other, all the way up and down. Do you think, well, first, I want to get your your thoughts on that. And do you think industry is paying attention to that? Or are they only looking at solving their near-term problem?
1: Q4, Q1? Well, you know, you and I are salespeople by birth, Uh (laughs) and we are such eternal optimists, right? And the first people I talked to when I was talking to executives and stuff is, I would say, well, how are you doing? And the first thing out of their mouths would be, oh, we're doing okay. We're doing great. La, 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 la. And I'd say, well, you know, how far are you down versus prior year? Oh uh, well, forty uh, percent or fifty percent, or but I, you know I think we'll make it up and you know whatever. <laughs> right. So they're very optimistic when you first talk to them. And then you ask for some statistics and they go down. Some companies have done really well. You know, the companies are involved in the equipment and that's needed for you know managing the the virus, the the cases in the sure. hospitals. Like I just saw, I think it was uh, three. Uh, um, was it Baxter's numbers came out? They were quite good today. But then there were three other companies that were down. You know, Boston, Varian, and then one other company. Oh, J&J's med devices down. So even if they're down for us, 10%, 15%, that's crushing in terms of your ability to grow. Correct. Your ability to, you know, hit your plan and so on and so forth. But And I think they'll be down a little further than that. So we have to be realistic number one but we have to maybe redesign what we've done and we have to wake up I think a lot of people lost time you know by sitting back and think it'd be over really quickly they lost time yeah but now we need to wake up you know get over some of the doom and gloom and think about what we can do and because what you've been talking about Jim is what I call demand generation and you're right we used to count on the salespeople to go out in the field and be detectives. Not only serve their customers and try to build customers they already had, but we expected them to be in offices, maybe hanging around the operating room, talking to doctors, you know, in cases, in between cases that they were working in, but then talking to doctors um, that might be using a competitive product and being like a detective and trying to figure yeah. out, can I qualify this guy? Can I turn him into a lead? We really re- relied on that. And think, think also about this. Most small, medium sized, even some large med tech companies are really technology and sales driven. It's almost like the marketing department services the sales organization. Yeah. yeah. The, and and it's, not, yeah. it's not until you get into, like, oh, let's say Medtronic or um, Medtronic's a good example, but some of these really large companies, possibly Boston and some others it's not until you get into those companies that you find that they've been hiring people out of Procter and Gamble or Kimberly Clark or whatever people that are real marketers but the small people i was a sales rep and i got promoted into marketing right yeah <laughs> yeah i took a marketing class in college but <laughs> <laughs> What good does that do back then, right? Right. So we have to change what we're doing, and we have to look at demand generation a, a really different way because we can't use the so-called demand generation we've traditionally used.
0: And when we say traditionally used, what you just described, sales reps, you know, the the shoe. Sales
1: reps, trade shows, um, yeah, yeah, those kinds of things, basic webinars, but a lot of it was born on the back of the sales team and then of course some other things print advertising and if you had a hot product or something that was really new a trade show could be good for you You sure come home with a lot of leads and you might be doing four to six or eight trade shows a year whether they're national or regional or a state depending if it's a really big state you might do their show but you come back with all these leads and you're creating relationship and, and enhancing relationships and networking and so on that's all gone. So we have to do something else, and and the answer to that is to invest in marketing, real marketing, to 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 really create the culture and the tools and the processes and strategies and tactics necessary for demand generation.
0: Yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, I uh, I've had this conversation with a few people and uh, Tom Patzell just recently and talking about, you know, this, this piece of this demand generation that's coming through from a marketing perspective. um, It's not a marketing brochure, right? I mean, when I've run these sales no. organizations, no, no, not at all. Right, And, <laughs> and a sales rep will go, I need a brochure that says this. I'm like, okay, so that's going to increase your sales by 20% if you have this brochure. Well, no. Okay. Then let's think about what we really need to do. And so it's not brochures, it's not pamphlets. Um, this is a different approach to grab the eyeballs of the docs. And like you said earlier, most of the docs are in their mid fifties, but the younger docs that are coming out there and, and, you know, there are, I, I don't want to, you know paint a wide brush but a lot of your younger doctors are on Twitter they're on Instagram they're on LinkedIn they're communicating in different groups you just have to find it to get to it i think one of the the best marketers out there that's doing this is Omar Khatib at um Prochero. i think i'm saying that Protero Medical um he's he's just doing a phenomenal job with that and uh um, and gaining those eyeballs and understanding that marketplace and driving revenue. Um, they did it without a sales force. So they were outsourcing, they were at one time outsourcing their sales to uh Medline. And but they, you know, Medline's carrying, t- you know, there's typical reps carrying, you know, a thousand products to sell. So this just got thrown on their bag, but the company through its marketing approach is the one that drove demand and recognition through the marketing department, which has never really happened before. So I want to take just a step back on this because I think this is um, something that we really have to start thinking about, especially if you're in sales management and leadership is that if your demand is going to come through your marketing team, because not not because sales reps aren't important, but because you can't get access to sell. Not access to cover a case, access to sell and grow your business. Um, and that's being driven because of COVID. And now you have a sales management team who might have anywhere from seven to ten reps over five, six states. Well, you can't ride with your rep. You know, you can maybe go to an occasional lunch or dinner. So, how does this new marketing that's needed in this environment impact the structure of a sales organization, and what are the needs of that sales organization to go forward? That's a lot, Ted. That's a lot. So, um, okay, uh,
1: I think I think I can handle it. You can it. handle it, okay? Yeah. Sometimes I, so. I can just
0: keep talking, Ted. Just no, keep. no,
1: that's okay. <laughs> well, I, I think it goes back to considering marketing a function that's equal to sales. Yep. And this has to be at the executive level. It has to be top-down culture change in the company saying that we really need marketing and we need a demand generation strategy and a series of tactics to support it. And that's going to give us the leads that then the reps can follow up on. Not only the leads, but the tools for the reps to use. And, for, and then they can follow up on that. And so when I say demand generation... It's a wide spectrum of activity. One is better email campaigns. When I look at email campaigns that I get on my email from companies like in ophthalmology for example, which I'm really close to some of them are terrible and they don't they don't use landing pages. There's a lot of mistakes they make so they're missing opportunities using social media, this blows me away. I talked to one of the med tech leaders members, just this week because he's going to be part of our series on demand generation. And he is using Facebook huh. to build volume at his website, at this company's website. It's a relatively new company with a new type of service slash technology. And it, his, the interest just exploded and he's getting appointments and people are want to talk to him about the services that they provide and this is through Facebook. He did try LinkedIn as well, but LinkedIn was more expensive. But Facebook really hit it out of the park for him. And that, and he showed it to me. He you know, shared the screen, and I was sort of blown away by the amount of traffic and the amount of impressions that he was getting and people that actually clicked through and really looked at what he was looking at. Yeah. And then the, the next thing you can do with stuff like that, especially if it comes to your website, is if you have an enhanced website that really has some good material in it that is of value to people, you know, good stories, good webinars, good testimonials, but really interesting and educational material, you can actually track people going through that material to give them a, a, a ranking as to how interested they are in a particular product or te- you know, technology. And then you can actually flip that interest back into the CRM and the rep gets a little notice that says, Dr. Smith spent four minutes watching this video, two minutes watching that video. Seems really interesting in this, interested in this. We're now going to trigger four emails to Dr. Smith. You need to watch how he engages with those emails and determine when you want to give him a call. Yeah. And that's 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 several things we have just talked about. One is email campaigns being better using social media and you can do it like a do it yourself type of social media program. You just have to, you know, put some grease on the elbows and start working them. Right. Right. And then marketing automation, which is a subset in my mind of demand generation. And sometimes marketing automation is just better use of the database that you currently have, the CRM that you currently have. You know, a lot of companies, At least my experience has been a lot of companies use the CRM. It's a glorified contact management system. And they may tie revenue to it so a rep can go in and see what an account's doing and have they ordered something or, or so on and so forth. But it's not something that helps create demand. And you can start small by using some demand generation techniques just with your CRM and marketing automation. You already have the CRM. You've already invested in it. You might just need the marketing automation module to be attached to it and purchase that. And then a couple good marketing people to create the messages that will go out in these sequences. Because we, we both know that for a lot of companies, all this marketing stuff, all your messages has to be approved. And, um, but that's where you need marketing people to, to create these tools that then can be fed into the marketing automation system.
0: Yeah. So yeah. with so with that though Ted. So uh, and that and that's that's great cuz that's exactly what has to get done to get these eyeballs of these doctors to start paying attention if you don't have access. So with this going on, going back to the sales organization, how do you see if at all the a sales organization changing evolving past where we were pre-covid?
1: I'm trying to remember what Bob said to me the other day. But one of the points he was trying to make to to me was that sales should be in the fulfillment business, fulfilling the orders. And if you use marketing automation or demand generation better, the sales rep should be getting involved further down in the funnel instead of being at the wide top of the funnel where he's prospecting and trying to, you know, get people into the funnel to begin with, which he or she can't do anymore. But now we want demand generation to bring those people in further down and almost qualify them a little bit because you know how interested they are by how much time they've spent on particular subject matter, either in terms of what you sent them or what they've looked at in the website. So here's here's an example. Like you're, you're – um, friend the other day that you interviewed, oh, I don't know if it was one or two um, podcasts of years ago. It was a great podcast. His name was Matt. What's his last name?
0: Scott, Matthew Scott.
1: Matt Scott. Anyway, that was a great interview. people if you haven't listened to it, you should. but he was really pushing the concept of using embedded videos to help get the attention of prospects and you know, improve your open rates on emails and he was exactly right very few people are using embedded videos and this is something a good marketing person can help with they can create a sequence of three or four short videos and you can attach an introductory video from the sales rep and it loops right into the approved marketing video that that explains a little bit about a particular feature of the product right and they the neat thing about the videos is that as they go out, you can see who opened them and how much time they spent on them. And so it goes back to what Jeff Howell at Care told me in that event that we had on in the community the other day. Actually, this was like five weeks ago. But he said he can actually see that, oh, they watched the entire first video. They watched the entire second video. That And these are automated emails that are going out. He doesn't have to press a button. He just puts this person in the system and the system starts working for him but he can be monitoring it and he sees that somebody's watched two complete videos that featured maybe or that explained two different features of his particular product or service he's now pretty confident that he can call up and guess what the video just gave him permission to get by the gatekeeper because now he can say you know, uh, Jane, uh, Dr. Smith has watched uh, two of our videos and I thought maybe I better give him a call to answer any other questions he had. So now it's not so much a cold call over the phone. So he uses the videos then to open up um, a meeting on the phone, which then can lead to a virtual meeting where more details are discussed in a presentation. But you can see that activity on those videos. And now you know what the interest is. And it goes back to now. You've brought that person further down into the funnel. They've somewhat self-qualified, and you can contact them. That's that can all be built into marketing automation.
0: Yeah, well, it does. It does. Um, it does show you that the sales organizations are going to change. Oh yeah, right. And and that's the thing that you know I'm really trying to get at. You have all of this going on, and it's very critical to um, to the future and. Sales reps today are going to have to adopt to this new type of, of selling because I'm going to pick on orthopedics just because we, we started with that is that if you're a spine rep, um, well, a spine, a hip or knee, you've been doing it for 10, 15 years. You have your probably a handful of doctors that make up 80, 90% of your revenue. And so you're selling to them but you need to you need to grow your your business but you're standing in cases all day. So who's going to grow that business for you? And cuz you can't do it at the OR, they're not going to let you sell, they're not going to let you hang out. You're done with your case, you you got to leave. And so how are you going to do that? So you're not going to be able to do that by sitting in an operating room. You're going to have to develop different skills and or organizations are going to look at their sales Forces their commercial team now, so if call it the commercial team with marketing and sales, and they're going to have to figure out: okay, do I just need case coverers, and then I need salespeople that are more you know, office-based that do still some field selling once they get a chance to get out there. Because um, I see it evolving, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm painting a picture of what may happen. Is that what your you think is going to happen in the future? Is something along those lines? I
1: think it could. I think an, uh, a med tech company, let's say with a surgical product, could have an in-house sales team that is picking up the interest of the physicians and or other hospital personnel that are you know, looking at what's going on on the website or opening up these little videos that are being sent to them perhaps an in-house sales team of some sort takes the ball at that point and gets it to the 50 or 60 yard line to finally qualify the healthcare professional. Then perhaps they turn it over to the rep. Now, because we have a problem here of experience and knowledge. For example, if a an orthopedic company or, or let's say a, a technology company that has a, a sophisticated technology that's using the OR <clears throat> so you do need a, a somebody there that's experienced to help the OR staff and the doctor through the use of the, of the technology right. okay right so we have that If we totally separate the sales team from that activity, now the salesperson can't say, well, you know, I was in a case just the other day, and this is how well it worked out for Dr. Jones when we, when we ran into this particular situation. Sure. Or, or Dr. Smith, I know that you have some difficult cases where this, that, and the other occurs, or this is the condition of the patient, and I just saw a case the other day, and it worked beautifully in that environment, and I could have Dr. Jones give you a call. You don't have this, that link, that experiential link uh, between the sales rep and the doctor if you let an application specialty team take over everything that's going on in the field so it seems to me that there's going to have to it could be helpful to have an application specialty team in there maybe working with a certain kind of case and a lot of companies do that like my daughter worked for Stryker, and she had a couple people under her that were going in and covering cases in addition to her being in cases but she was the real salesperson, you know, in the yeah. territory. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there, there has to be a balance. Now, there are some other medical technologies where they might be able to shift almost completely to an in-house or work-out-of-the-home commercial sales organization that is just doing almost all the sales virtually.
0: Yeah. So, and that's the thing, is that there is going to be a change. Nobody knows what that change is going to look like, but for the audience listening to this, I think it would be, um, in- incredibly important that you start thinking about how this is going to change, get more involved with understanding those changes that are going to take place and start learning new skill sets. Right. Cause, um, you know, it, like you said, there's probably going to be a hybrid of some sort. So you're in the field, but now you're going to have to learn some virtual tools. You're going to have to learn how to, um, Uh, send emails and do all that, all the different type of work that's out there to get in front of somebody. So if you're listening to this, just pay attention to what's going on and try to see what skills that you can pick up uh, along the way as we continue to evolve uh, on that commercial side, which then brings me to startups. Okay. So if you're a startup and you're going to launch a new product in, uh, um, urology. And you know that you're going to, it's going to take time to get into that office with that doctor. So I'm imagining and picturing that the startup community is going to have to change the way, just like we're talking about how they approach the market. Because, like, when I was at Advanced Bionics and we built the sales organization, we hired 60 reps within the first year, trained them, and sent them out there, okay? And uh, it was great technology. We had open access. Everything worked out. At Intellis, when we built that sales organization, hired 20 uh, folks right up front, another 20 about three months later, and we were able, because we were getting access. I think if you do that now, you're going to burn your cash Um, pretty quickly because you're not going to get that access like you've had in the past. Um,
1: You're exactly right. Okay.
0: I'm just, I mean, I'm not looking for affirmation of, but what I'm looking is to understand how these changes are going to impact everything.
1: I think uh, startups have to conserve their cash and they have to build success models, sort of one customer at a time. Because you're right, they you just can't go hire Salesforce, and they're going to sit on their rear end in in their homes. The only place where that might work would be if you had salespeople that had access to this new market or to the market that you wanted to apply this new technology. So you knew at least initially they could open the virtual yeah. door. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and if they can, but then they have to have the skills and the tools to do it, and it is different. Like I talked to a guy back in may who told me that his high tech sales force he thought only he thought maybe 30 to 40% of them would not be able to adapt to this new world of doing things virtually because they were just used to going in and catching people in between patients right in in the office or in the hospital or in the operating room so they're going to have to learn some new skills, and that's that's where it really gets tough is sales management has to understand what these new skills are. They have to design a sales process that fits the current time, and when they look at that sales process and understand what new tools need to be brought to bear, they need to make sure that when they hire somebody and they create the profile for the person that they want to hire, that these people have the skills and the culture, the men- mental cultural set to be able to engage in these particular activities in the sales process.
0: As we're going through this conversation and, um, and going through the impact that this pandemic is having on our industry specifically. And you, you see this ripple effect all the way down to the local sales rep and all the way down to the startup who. Raise money a year ago, thinking that they were going to hire thirty reps, let's say in February, going to hire thirty reps in February. That's gone, right? That is over. You have to rethink this, and um, and I've heard from a few companies that are trying to raise some money that they don't actually believe that these changes are going to impact them, and I, I completely disagree. It is, but to your point is if you if you're in let's say urology and you decide that you're going to launch and you're gonna hire 20 reps, you're gonna to have to hire urology reps. You're gonna to have to guarantee them um a pretty good penny for them to leave where they're at in this environment. And so you could end up I mean you will get that access really quick. But now we're back, it's like a you and I were talking earlier um before the podcast, it's going back to nineteen ninety three where that sales rep is the most important person for the company because they're the only one that's actually having interaction, physical interaction with that doctor. So it's just amazing to me how um, this pandemic has caused these ripple effects through our industry and is changing, I think, almost every aspect of it. But I think we would have gotten here anyways in 10 years. But as others have said, it's just brought up the future 10 years from now, up until, you know, up to 2020. So um, your thoughts on that?
1: I agree with what you've said. So let's say you're a startup and you did succeed in, in raising a bunch of money. Perhaps it's late last year, 2019 or early 2020, before things really got rough and you hadn't completely filled out the sales organization you thought you would hire. I'd probably hold back. And I'd build success models in that sales organization based on the new virtual models. And I would invest in the marketing and the other tools to create that demand you know, generation that we were talking about before and make sure you had that running smoothly and then think about adding some more yeah. people. But, yeah. but I would conserve your cash, but you can do a lot in terms of marketing. I mean, for the price of, no offense to salespeople out there, but for the price of, Two or three salespeople, you can have um, a couple marketing people and a half decent demand generation budget. Yeah. No, I and agree. And also, the fact that you're not going to trade shows, you can convert that back into a marketing budget. But if I was in that startup situation, that's what I do. If I was a new startup that maybe just got some money, but now is in this COVID quicksand of not being able to access you know, customers easily then I would still move toward demand generation. Perhaps hire a couple salespeople, design the process, make sure it all worked before ramping up, and make sure you're getting the right salespeople with the right skills in place. If I was a small to medium-sized med tech company that had a sales force and was also in COVID quicksand for the moment, I would really look hard at the people I have on board, determine who is and who isn't going to make it in this environment, and I would cut the people that aren't, use those savings, convert it back into marketing, but you'd have to be, you have to be maybe a little bit ruthless, unfortunately, at this time to save the company.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. And that's why, you know, I love doing these podcasts. I love having people like you on to share these ideas because I love the med device, med tech area, I love my brothers and sisters who are out there selling every day and the managers that are out there leading them. I want them to remain uh, viable and important into this market. That'll only happen if you listen to folks like Ted and others that you need to develop these skills to be able to remain relevant and not fight it. Don't let your ego get in the way of, well, that's not how we always did it, because I hear that a lot, and uh, it, it scares me. So having these ideas and these thoughts that are coming from you know people like Ted, it, it, I'm just begging you to listen and to lean into it and start talking to your company about it because I, I just I know it's going to happen. Right. I know it's going to happen and it's probably going to happen really quick in Q1 as and I think this from a sales management side. If I've got, uh, let's say, 20 regional managers, and they each have 10 folks, but my regional managers aren't getting into the field writing with reps um, because they can't. They can't get in the doctor's office. They can't get in the hospital. Why do I need 20 regional sales managers? I probably don't. So I'm going to go, but I'm going to go down to fewer. But then I have to manage those people I have differently with different skill sets. And that's why I keep saying, you see this ripple effect on how this can really start. And it's really going to take only one or two companies to figure it out and others will follow. So you you just got to be prepared for it. It's no one's fault if you don't have the skill sets you know, to do this. Um, but um, it's time but, to start thinking about it.
1: But you can gain them. Yeah. And I think that's what I would say to... The, the salespeople in the audience and the regional sales managers, even some of the executive sales managers is this can also be an opportunity. You can be better than your competition or anybody else contacting a doctor. You can have the best virtual presentation of anybody a doctor's been involved with and have that doctor sit back or that healthcare professional. Maybe it's the head of infectious diseases or whatever at the hospital, but you can have that person sit back or that committee sit back and go, wow, this person was really well-organized and they just gave us a great presentation, which creates confidence not only in you as a salesperson or a sales manager, but also in the product and the company that you represent. So there's opportunities here if you just go out and learn the skills and there's lots of places to learn it. You know, on YouTube, you can do... Like self learning on, on YouTube and a lot of sites that exist on the internet. You know, in the med tech leaders community, we have a lot of video casts on what we call going virtual, probably seven or eight hours on it. So there's lots of places where you can go learn this stuff and be the person that takes the lead and make sure your boss knows it. Make sure your boss knows that, hey, I just fooled around with this presentation is that okay if I use it this way because I made it more effective for a virtual presentation oh and by the way um, Joe and Susan and I are getting together on a video call we're going to practice presenting to each other make sure that your leaders know that you're trying to take some steps to to adapt to this virtual world and just be the leader be you know even though you're in the field be the leader learn this stuff and make sure that you survive and you're prepared to to make it through the next couple of years and be successful.
0: Yeah, no, well said. Because um, you can, everyone can adapt, everybody can learn, and and still be a viable member of this med tech community on the commercial side. It, it can be done. It will be done. It has to be done. So I love the fact that you know you're saying be a leader and take charge. You know, be an active participant in your own life and career. And it yeah couldn't be any more important now. Um, than ever, so it's yeah, uh, offer
1: offer to redesign the company's sales process to make it virtual, or or volunteer to be on the team that does it. There's so many things that can be done to make sure that that you survive and that you succeed, you know, in the field. There's there's lots of opportunities here. Unfortunately, there's change. None of us like change. I've always hated change. You know, I used to be one of those salespeople that sat. You know, in the sales meeting and they would come in and say, well, this is going to happen. And all of you are rolling your eyes like, oh, my gosh, what are they doing to us now? Compensation's changing. Quotas are changing. Or they got this product that I think's a loser. You know, I used to be in that same boat. But you got to survive that and you got to keep forging ahead.
0: Yep, exactly. Um, So, Ted, what are you doing um, for your clients today? Where is your focus? And are you driving them towards this... um demand generation and looking at how to train sales reps to do this?
1: I don't get into sales training. I would probably refer that out to somebody like um, Richardson Sales Performance, who we had in the community. If you remember, we had um, Brad Ansley speak to us. It was just terrific what they're doing in terms of helping people with virtual sales processes so I would act I would help people strategically come up with a strategic plan, the tactics, maybe revise their sales process. A lot of my clients right now are actually people that are in the startup phase, they're still working on developing products, you know, engaging some key opinion leaders and so on. So they don't necessarily have this particular problem, but then I do have a a, a few that do and like I talked some people into using embedded videos the other day. Um, and maximizing their CRM, just a baby step into marketing automation. Sure. So that's the kind of stuff I'm involved in. That's great. That's great.
0: So um, once again, uh, everyone listening, I I would really, really encourage you to check out the uh, MedTech Leaders Community. Um, I will... When I post this on this podcast, I'll post the link in the in the message on LinkedIn so people can find you. Um, And I know your time is valuable. We're almost up to an hour. It doesn't feel like that. I could probably I (laughs) I could probably go for another two hours. I'm uh, in my my own family. I'm not known for being, you know, curt. So uh, knowing your time, respecting your time. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with the Medical Sales Nation?
1: No, I think we've done a really good job of covering it. Embrace change. Be part of the change as you go forward. Volunteer to contribute, to participate in any new initiatives that your company has going. Um, Or if you're a manager, to initiate the changes yourself and ask for more support from marketing. And sometimes as managers, make some tough decisions relative to the mix between marketing and sales and where the expenditures are, but just embrace the change and try to turn it into an opportunity. Be better than everybody else.
0: Yeah. No, that's great advice. A great way to end this. So, um, be a change leader. Um, just you're going to have to anyways. So, you know, take, take charge. Yeah.
1: Get it. Get it. I said, Get an attitude on that you're going to get this done. That's right. Get some attitude. That's
0: right. That's awesome. Well, good. Well, um, uh, Ted, thank you so much for um, being a part of the the show. And um, I really appreciate it. And the medical sales nation out there, hang tough through these times. And uh, good luck selling and learning new skills.